All right, go ahead and take a seat. See, you know, some of you guys say you're introverts, but there you go. Hanging out, chatting. That's awesome. That's my favorite. Obviously, the right answer uh, to that was coffee flavored with toffee chips. Because uh, coffee and toffee, because, you know, Jesus. Uh, that's not always readily available, so, you know, if you have to, uh, cookie dough, probably. Uh, or, or Oreo, like, or, you know, the Oreo, what do they call it? Not Oreo, but cookies and cream. Yeah, the poor man's Oreo. Yeah. <laughs> so, as you can tell, I like ice cream. So, I guess all of it, all of it, really, except the weird, bougie stuff. I like the simple stuff. Um, okay, hey, so last week we talked about... Um, one of the things we talked about was, was fads, right? So we talked about how we can invest uh, a lot of time and energy and even finances and stress for our parents for uh, even short-term things, right? So we, we, we put all this energy and effort into something that later we look back on. I was like, man, why did I spend all that time and energy and effort uh, into that haircut or those, you know, hammer pants or, you know, whatever. I used to love uh, the Michael Jackson jackets, you guys ever had Michael Jackson jackets back in the day? I had the knockoff ones because, you know, immigrant family. But um, they, were close, they were close enough. They're the kind you can get at Union Hall, if you ever heard of that uh, brand. Anyway, so we posted online. We put, showed some pictures of myself and the elders that are kind of embarrassing. And so asked online to post some of your pictures, too. So I want to show you some uh, that from people from the church had posted in. So go ahead and put the first one up. Uh, you, you, guys, <laughs> the, you guys know who this is? That's Tony Leovanos. Uh, ultra marathon, or he goes to church, obviously, he runs like 50 miles for fun kind of thing. Uh, when, he, when his wife posted this for him, first of all, it blessed my soul. Uh, and this is my first response I wrote back, I go, that is the oldest toddler I've ever seen. <laughs> that is just the weirdest thing. Okay, uh, next one. There's <laughs> so interesting. All right, go, go to the next one. All right, so uh, this individual moved so it's actually uh, the person in the middle, uh, Asian Fabio here. Do you guys know who this is? This is Tommy. Like Tommy and Teresa Sue, Tommy. Uh, I asked him how low his, or his hair went, and I asked him, please tell me it went down to your butt. Uh, but that was Tommy, uh, Asian Fabio. I don't know who the other two guys are, but this show is about Tommy. Uh, next one, this is actually uh, Tony's wife. Uh, Post a picture of herself. and that, my, th- there's just so much to unpack with this picture. We don't have time. This is a sermon series in and by of itself. The main thing that stuck out to me, honestly, was one, the gla- those glasses are kind of cool again. But the second thing is it almost feels like there's two haircuts. I don't know. Maybe let me explain. So there's, there's this one. And then there's the one on the outside. It's like two separate haircuts together. Uh, but they work together. Uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, this, this one is uh, Alan. I don't know if Alan is here. This one is just cute. He, he posted this one. I go, Alan, this is not embarrassing. This is just kind of cute, except for your haircut. I don't know if the bowl had a chip in it when <laughs> you were cutting. <laughs> were you cutting your bowl cut? But super cute, Optimus Prime. It's not embarrassing. It's actually pretty cute. Uh, and I think the last one. Yeah, yeah, this is so. This looks like it should be a joke. Right? Like, it's like you went to the mall like today and they made this to reenact. But this is like the real, this is Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy, like Jimmy and Tay, Jimmy. That is, I want to print that and like put it up somewhere. That, make it a blanket. Like, it's just too good. It's too good. Anyways, um, so, anyways, that's just 
that's neither here nor there. I just thought it was too good not to share. Okay, so today we're going to continue the series. Um, and I'm making it a little passionate. Just, you know, when I was going through the teaching, I got kind of fired up when I was kind of going through it. And I'm like, I think I really care about today's message a lot. Uh, and I had cold brews, so here we go. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, one of the disciples who is really cocky. I know no one in here is cocky, but you might know somebody uh, who's, who deals with pride. And so you have a, a disciple who's extremely cocky, which inevitably leads to his humiliation, which a lot of times that happens, right? Or at least maybe you know someone really cocky in your life and you pray for their humiliation. So cockiness leads to humiliation, which eventually leads to humility, which we'll, we'll talk about. And which is uh, too many times humility actually has to come from a season of pain and humiliation, which we'll talk about. So we're, that's one of the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a, a part of the passage where Jesus seems like he's asking the disciples to uh, buy weapons, a call to arms almost. So if you're an NRA uh, member, you might really like, well, really interesting? We'll talk about what we think he really means or we believe he really means uh, there. And then we'll end the today with a, a part of the passage where uh, there's an unjust arrest of Jesus under the veil of night. And it ends with this line where Jesus says that the, the time for the power of darkness is here. Kind of a really solemn uh, situation. And then we'll, we'll end it there. Right, so it's going to be an interesting journey. So we're going to hop right in, uh, Luke chapter twenty-two, verse thirty-one. We have a lot to cover, a lot of Bible today. Uh, so here we go. It says this: Simon, Simon. So oh, just so you know, I'll, I'll explain this as we go. Simon is also known as Peter. Right, he's known as Simon Peter. So if you're like Simon, Simon, then Peter responds. You're like, whoa, how many people are here? Okay, so Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Oh, let me backtrack. What's going on here is they're having the Passover dinner. So they're in the upper room, private situation. No one knew where they were meeting. So the temple guard, the high priest, didn't know they were there. So they are by themselves. It's the last moment they're going to be together in private uh, before Jesus is arrested. So this is a really solemn moment. They're having dinner, nice meal, and then Jesus talks about some crazy stuff about his blood being spilled and his body being broken, and they start to, they're really confused. And then in the next breath, he says this, okay? That's the context. Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that you should, your face should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you, even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, you almost like see him talk down a little bit. Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. We'll unpack that. But what happens here is Jesus said to Peter that he personally prayed for him. Not only prayed for him, it says that Jesus pleaded in prayer for him. This wasn't like a, dear God, bless our food. This was a, on his knees, pleading, please God, if there's any way you can preserve Peter's faith. But what happens? It says, go back to that verse. It says, I've pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. And you would think you would say, so... Your faith isn't going to fail. So you're going to serve God faithfully. No, no, what's it say? So when you have repented and turned to me again, in other words, I've pleaded in prayer for you, and it's not going to be enough. 
you're still going to go on your own path. You're still going to make some really big mistakes that are going to haunt you for the rest of your life. But when you have repented and turned to me again, because you're about to turn away from me, but when you turn to me again, strengthen your brothers. And what stuck out to me here is I just want to encourage some of you that someone, if someone you really care about has walked away from the faith or is not living for the Lord right now, it could be a child, a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, someone you used to go to youth group with back in the day, or maybe, honestly, maybe an old leader in your life that isn't serving the Lord right now. And you've carried that burden of maybe I had something to do with that. Maybe if I would have prayed more fervently, maybe if I would have lived better in front of them that they could be living for God right now. Can I encourage you? Jesus had Peter in his inner circle for three years, interned, not for a few hours a week, every waking moment. Within hundreds of disciples, Peter was one of the 12. Within the 12, Peter was one of the three. The closest. Son of God, perfect. Jesus praying for Peter. And Peter still goes on his own journey. Can I challenge you? If, if you have someone in your life that's walked away from the faith or is not living for God right now, it's not necessarily a reflection of your faith. It's not necessarily a reflection of your, your decisions. They just may need to go on their own journey. Continue to pray, continue to believe, continue to love. What's interesting is Luke chapter 15, Jesus, you know, a few chapters ago where Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, right? So you have a father who has two sons who are both lost. One, the older son, loses the heart of the father. The younger son literally says, Dad, I wish you were dead, and leaves the house. Remember that? Who does the father represent? God. Yet he's batting zero. Both his sons were away from him. Once, once emotionally, physically, or spiritually, one physically. If God said, look, a high percentage of my children are not following me, it's going to happen to you too, or it may happen to you too. What's interesting about the story of the prodigal son, when, when Jesus was talking about the heart of the father, you know what the father did? Did the father go chasing after the son? Did the father try to control the son? No. What, the, what did the father do? He let the son go on his own journey. When the son was like, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. What a punch to the gut. I want my inheritance while you're still alive. That's, that's brutal. And what did the dad go? Okay. Okay. And he sat on the front porch Going, when you come back, I'll be here. When you come back, I'm going to love you. When you come back, I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to throw a party for you. I'm going to get your back. I'm going to guard you. Any of the gossipers and naysayers, I'm going to protect you. That's the heart of the Father. So I just want to encourage you. Some of you guys, I, I talked to some of you, you're like, My, this person is not living for God. Does that mean? No, I mean, pray. Is there something that you need to fix? But that's not a reflection necessarily of your own journey. They just need to go on their own path. Another thing I, with what Jesus talked about in this passage is there's a very real enemy. Like we talk about God is real, but sometimes we're like, oh, we don't talk about the enemy. There's a very real enemy. And you got to realize you have a target on your back. The last thing the enemy wants for you is for you to be connected to God and to be connected to your mission on this earth. 
to be connected with God and then to partner with God to create a, a better world. That's the last thing the enemy wants. And so Jesus tells Simon Peter that the enemy has wanted to sift each of you, not just Peter, but everyone, like wheat. And if you didn't grow up in an agrarian society or ever, I grew up in the Midwest. We had lots of farms and stuff because, you know, we got like room, space, you know. And so you, how many acres of land is your house? So different. You didn't measure yards and square footage. It was like acres, right? So just a different world. Uh, so agrarian, so this makes sense to me, but if you guys didn't grow up in that kind of situation, here's how you, uh, what he's saying, sifting like wheat. What that means is you would harvest the wheat, you would take all the wheat, kind of the heads of wheat, and you, many times, especially in this time, you would crush them with a large rolling stone, right? And you, I mean, you guys ever visit the Holy Land, you'll see kind of the threshing floors. And so you put all the wheat down, you crush it with uh, like a large rolling stone on a kind of a spindle, just Google it if you really want to see what it looks like. And you crush over it. And then you get like a winnowing fork or a pitchfork. And you'd scoop it up, toss it up. The heavy parts of the wheat, the kernels would drop. The extra part, the chaff, would kind of blow off to the side. And you'd take all that stuff and you burn it. And the good kernels would be there. So every time you eat like a piece of, you know, oat, like bread or whatever, or wheat bread, you're, just appreciate what that wheat went through, right? What in, what's involved when he says that the enemy wants to sift you like wheat, that involves crushing. That involves separation. And I really, when I was going through this passage, I, what I really kept on coming back to was the enemy wants to separate you from God. The enemy wants to separate you from the mission God has on your life. And every single one of us has a mission on our life. Unique to you, unique to your gift set, your personality. What comes naturally to you, your talents, your relationships, your family, all that, you're tailor-made like a specific key to unlock a certain mission that you can reach people I could never reach, and vice versa. And God, or God wants you to partner with you to do the gospel. We've talked about this. People, the gospel is not be a good person so one day you get to go to heaven. The gospel is I get to have a relationship with, with God now and partner with him on this side of eternity and the next. It's relationship. So the enemy wants to separate you from that, from your relationship with God and your relationship with the mission, partnering with God to make the world a better place. For some of us, he uses pain. The enemy will use pain to separate us. Because if we can go through enough hurt, if God has called you to impact people and build up people, then inevitably, there will be gossip or there'll be hurt or people will leave you, people will abandon you, people will say stuff about you, people will take advantage of you. And it's gonna make you wanna go, I'm not putting my heart back out there again. Separate you from mission, right? Or how could God let that person hurt me? Separate my from my relationship with God. Sometimes the enemy will use pain to separate you from your relationship with God or separate you from your mission. Other times, can I be honest, I think this happens more often, the second one, is sometimes the enemy will use comfort. He won't use pain. He'll use comfort. Just kind of put your little spiritual snuggie on. Get all comfy. No, 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 no. Don't get uncomfortable. Don't do anything that might, you know, take away from your level of comfort. Don't, don't get up too early. Don't help that person on your day off. Just be comfortable. And before you know it, I used to have a thriving relationship with God. I used to really be involved. 
and really impact the community and be on mission. I used to go to work and pray, God, how can you use me to impact the people at work today? God, how could you use me to, man, would you give divine appointments today as I'm walking through the park? As I'm moving into my new place, you would pray for your neighbors. And then comfort kind of just lulled you to sleep and you're no longer on mission. Maybe you look back at the old days as the days that used to really do a lot of good stuff and now you just go to church here and there. So sometimes the enemy uses pain to separate us from mission. Sometimes he uses comfort. So how does Peter respond? Jesus, think about it. Jesus, the son of God, tells Peter, hey, the enemy wants to sift you like we are going to go through a lot of situations and you're going to turn away from me. So when you repent and turn back to me, restore your brothers. And what is Peter's response? Anybody with a clue would go to Jesus and go, man, I'm sorry. I don't even know how I'm going to deny you. I don't know how I'm going to fall, but I'm sorry. Is there, what can I do to protect myself? What can I do? Because I don't want to fail you. No, what, what is Peter's response? No, you're wrong, Jesus. I got this. I got this. I'm ride or die. You kidding me? I'm impervious to sin. I'll, I'll go to prison for you. You know what? I'll even die for you. That's how hardcore I am, Jesus. What's so wild is I've talked to a lot of Christians like this. Maybe you have too. That are like, I could never. They'll see someone, you know, commit some serious sin or have an affair or whatever the situation is or embezzle money or whatever. And they're going, I could never do that. I would never. I, I don't even know how someone could do that. These kind of individuals tend to be uh, high on being black and white and kind of low on grace. A lot of times these individuals are new to the faith or just young in general. See, what happens is after you have some failure in your life, after you have some pain in your life, after you make some pretty big mistakes, it's wild how under that soil of crushing comes grace, comes humility. Whenever you see someone that lives with a lot of love and grace and humility, chances are you're seeing someone that's gone through a whole lot of pain. Someone that's gone through a whole lot of failure. Jesus talked about how the fact that if, you, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. Right? You make some big mistakes and you realize, yeah, we all could make mistakes. We all could go there. The right response for Peter is to go, Jesus, what can I do to protect my heart? Right? So you have this amazing exchange where Jesus says, you're going to fail me. And Peter goes, no, I'm not. It's like, what? Jesus says, not only will Peter fail him, but he says, when you repent and you return back to me, your calling is still intact. That not only will you fail, but if you repent, I still want to use you to reach other people. See, some of us fail, and we just talked about where, because we're too cocky, we don't protect our blind sides. You ever heard of this word convictions? Convictions? Convictions are, are kind of like, other people may do this, but I don't. And I grew up in a church where convictions were almost like a badge of honor. Like, I'm, I'm more spiritual than you because we don't listen to secular music. I'm more spiritual than you because I only listen to worship music. Or 
I don't watch rated R movies, or I don't dance, or I don't, you know, I don't have a t- I don't even have a TV in my house, right? Because I'm so spiritual. Like I'm so me, me and Jesus are. I don't have time for video games. I'm just praying for everyone's salvation all the time, right? And there's this, there's this, you know what convictions are? Convictions were never meant to be uh, a way for me to tell you how much better I am than you. You know what convictions are? Convictions are a way to protect where you're weak. Convictions are like a cast to say, look, you can do that movement. I can't. Because if I do that, I might get hurt. You can watch that on TV. I can't. Not because I'm better than you. I don't watch those shows. Not because I'm better than you. Because I know what happens in my heart if I do watch those shows. I can't go to those websites. I can't, I can't go to those situations because something happens inside of me. It may not happen to you, but it happens inside of me. I get materialistic. I get selfish. Lust starts to spur up. So I need to protect myself from that. So I have, I'm convicted. It was a way to protect yourself so we don't become like a, like a Peter. So some of us make mistakes because we're too cocky. We're thinking, I, I can handle that situation. I know everyone else is telling me, don't do that because you heard about these people who did those things and they didn't go well for them. Oh, I'm different. I'm different. I can think how many friends are like, no, I can go into that situation. I can go into that relationship. I can walk the razor's edge and I won't get burned until you do. See, some of us, we... We've made a, a bad decision or we've gotten to a bad situation, a mistake, whatever you want to call it, and we think we had a whoops. It wasn't. It was a series of bad decisions that if there were convictions set in place way over here, you never would have gone down here. You don't trip and get to here. If you and say an inappropriate relationship. If you had a screen that no one else could see, messaging people you shouldn't message, at times of the day you shouldn't, in rooms where there's no accountability, then yeah. Every time you do these situations, the wick of the dynamite gets shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Then all it takes is a little spark and the thing blows up. And your thing may not be relationships. It may be financial stuff, maybe materialism, maybe anger, whatever, but it's the convictions that keep the wick really long, right? So some of us fail because we're too cocky. We think we don't need to protect ourselves. Some of us fail because when we stumble, we don't own it. We don't own it. We just blame shift. Okay, yeah, here, I, I did this, but it's because they, it's because the situation, look, the the Lord is not going to judge you for what they do. The reason why I don't feel like I have to, you know, correct any story that anybody else says about me, whether true or false or whatever, is because I believe God is just. So I don't believe the Lord will hold me accountable for what they do. The Lord will hold me accountable for my response to what they do. So when you make mistakes, and we all will, huge grace, own it. Own it. Don't blame shift because you can't change what you don't own, right? Third thing is, some of us stumble because when we fall, we don't repent. That's kind of an old churchy word, but I mean, we don't repent. What we do is we kind of ignore it and keep moving as if it never happened, right? 
They oh, it's just a mistake. Look, what Peter is about to do wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a whoops, my bad, Jesus. It was a series of decisions. One of my favorite authors, a guy named Charles Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon. Just read anything by Spurgeon and it'll make you better. You might need an interpreter because some of the stuff is, he takes a long way around uh, when he explains things sometimes. But here's how he explains uh, repentance. It says this, repentance is the discovery of the evil of a sin, a mourning uh, that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. So it's a discovery that not only is this sin, it's not a mistake, it's a sin and it's evil, right? So whatever the situation, whatever decision you made, how did, th this, is, this is not a, uh, this is not, not good. This is evil in my heart. I don't want that. A mourning that we have committed it. I really sit and feel that. How did I get to the point where I was okay with making this decision? A resolution to forsake it. Saying, in other words, I'm going to drop this and create a new path forward. It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. Repentance is not piling guilt and shame on your head. Repentance is not groveling in your mess. That's not repentance. That's not helpful. Repentance, well, I put here, it is owning our decisions, turning our hearts to God for forgiveness, and committing to a new path. Repentance is owning our decisions. Look, it, did they have something to do with it? Sure. But even if it was 1% me, I'm going to own that 1%. It's owning my decisions. Turning our hearts to God for forgiveness. Not going to bury it. Not going to la, 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 keep moving forward, pretend it didn't happen. I'm going to say, God, I need your help with this. Only you can root this thing out because it's got tentacles all throughout my soul. And I don't know what to do, but I need your help to get this out of my heart. Owning our decisions, turning our hearts to God of forgiveness, and committing to a new path. I used to go this way every time. God, help me to go this way. I don't want to go down this path. Every time, I, every time I go down this path, I don't like who I become. I don't like the results in my relationships. I don't, like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I've talked about it long enough. I, mean, I know you've been speaking in my heart long enough. I'm going to start to go this way instead. So some of us, we fail because we don't repent. We don't repent, so here's a couple questions I want you to think about. One, what do you need to repent of? What do you need to repent of? What's an area of sin or a pattern of sin in your life that needs to be broken? It's a pattern of sin in your life that needs to be broken. What's a new path you need to take? So what do you need to repent of? And secondly, what's an area you need to accept God's forgiveness? What's an area you need to accept God's forgiveness? Now, can I tell you there's, there's people in this room watching online that you've disqualified yourself. You used to be super involved. You used to do stuff for God and you, had, you were fully surrendered. Saying, God, you have everything. You have my time, you have my talents, you have my resources, everything. And then you made some mistakes. You got some skeletons in the closet and you feel like you're disqualified. Feel like God can never use you. Because, man, how, who am I to try to help people? Who am I to try to represent God? Look at all the stuff I've done. Look, if Jesus can use Peter, Jesus goes, I know you're about to fail, Peter, royally, publicly, but I'm still going to use you. If Jesus can use Peter, if Jesus can use Paul, who murdered Christians, he can use you. 
Jesus tells him, before you even mess up, I know you're going to mess up, and I want to let you know when you repent, I still want to use you. Some of you guys need to hear God. You're not disqualified. Repent. Repent. He wants to help you create a new path. And then get back in the game. Get back in the game. Verse 35, keep moving along. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money, a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals, did you need anything? No, they replied. But now he said, take your money in a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about, to, about me to be fulfilled. And the prophecy is, he was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true, I believe. Next verse. Or not. Uh, no. Will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. I guess it's not on the, on the slides. It's on my notes. It's in your Bibles uh, there, too. Um, so it says, yeah, everything written about me the prof- by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords. That's enough, he said. So this is a really weird passage, right? He's referencing back to the 72 when he sent them out two by two uh, and to do ministry, right? And, he's, and he said, don't prepare anything. Don't even take a traveler's bag. Don't bring your purse or purse with you, right? Like the churches, the people's, the families will take care of you financially, feed you everything that you need. But he's saying that this is a different time we're about to walk into. There's a short season where things are going to be a little different. It's going to be dangerous. See, then he says, talks about swords. He talks about if you, if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak even to get a sword. Okay, what does this mean? I'm torn on this because I'm kind of a pacifist. I don't like war uh, because I don't see it doing a whole lot of good. But I also like guns. Not to just shoot people, but like cans or targets or, you know what I mean? Like I'm not like an angry, vengeful like person. But there is something primal. I think every even young kid makes these terrible bow and arrows. You know what I mean? That just go, right? There's something primal about it. So I'm kind of in this kind of torn thing. I'm like, what is Jesus? I'm not. A, the last thing I want to do is try to make Scripture say something it doesn't say. So the more I read into these commentaries, uh, there's very few. Actually, I, I tried. I couldn't find one reliable scholar that said that Jesus is talking in actuality, that he's actually asking them to buy swords. I couldn't find there There are out, those out there that kind of cherry-pick the Bible, but it's, it, it's, it's a leap. The vast majority, essentially every reliable scholar, every reliable commentary says that Jesus is talking about a metaphor here, talking about spiritual battles. And then he goes on to say that when the disciples go, I, we have two swords for the 12 of us. We have two and then Jesus goes, that's enough. And people are like saying, see, you just need a, just a few swords. It's like, okay, if, they, if he really was talking about dangerous coming, we have a, we're going to fight against the Roman Empire. You got two swords? We're good. We're good. The rest of you guys get a stick, right? Maybe get some, uh, some pebbles. Now we're going to take them on. So when he says that's enough, he's not like, we're armored up. What he's saying is, You're not, you don't get it enough of this talk. That's enough. We're moving on. 
And if you don't believe me, you can do your own study, but that's really what I believe is, is going on. He's essentially saying, enough of this talk, you don't get it, you've missed it one more time. Verse 39, it says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the up, upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives, which is also known as the Garden of Gethsemane. Same place, if you're wondering. Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, same place. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. So he gathered disciples together. He just said, enemy wants to sift you like wheat. I've pleaded in prayer for you. I'm about to suffer. My blood's going to be poured out for you. FYI, body broken for you. I know it doesn't make sense, but it will make sense later. Hey, could you just pray for a little bit? This is his inner circle. These are his elders. No pressure, Raph, Kathy, right? These are his elders, and then he goes a stone's throw. I don't know how far that is. Not far, depending on the strength of the person, but stone's throw away. And knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering from me. Gosh, this is the craziest thing to me. Jesus, who can handle anything. Jesus, who John, the Gospel of John says that the whole world was created through him, that there was nothing that was created except through Jesus. He's like Thanos on steroids, right? And he goes, Father, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering from me. It's too much. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Next verse, if it's there. Okay, he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like giant drops of blood. At last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Can you imagine that? He's having the hardest moment of his life. He asked them, you got one job, guys. Can you pray? I've told you I've pleaded in prayer for you. Can you just pray? I'm having a hard day. Can you pray for me? And then they fall asleep. They're checked out. Then he comes back and said, why are you sleeping? We talked about this. He asked them, get up and pray. So yet we'll not give into temptation. When I was thinking about this, I think all of us will go through moments like this. The dark night of the soul moments. And I think there's five quick things that all of us go through in moments like this and Jesus models for us. I think it's so good that we see the humanity, the vulnerability of the God-man Jesus in moments like this, that if he suffers like this, if he has these mind games that we do too, first is you go through a season of heavy spiritual battles. Heavy spiritual battles. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that's, this last year and a half has just been this. Like if I was going to go through the timeline of March 2020 till now and just highlight the days that have had heavy spiritual battles, it's easier to highlight the days that didn't. You just felt that? So much. Any guys that are in leadership in any sort of organization, you feel it too. No matter what you do, half the group thinks you're wrong. And you're just trying to do your best. Heavy spiritual battles. Jesus felt that. So much so that he was sweating blood. Capillaries in his body were bursting. He was sweating blood. Which is actually a medical term. I know a lot of you guys are in the medical field. It's actually a medical term for that. You can Google it. I, I was going to write it down, but I can't pronounce it anyways. So it doesn't matter. But it starts with hemo because blood. And then I don't know what the rest says. So probably some osis or something at the end. But, uh, but he was burdened, heavy spiritual battles. Felt that? You feel overwhelmed. And in those moments, you're going... 
But man, I can, I can trust those closest to me to carry this burden with me. That's, I mean, it's, it's a novel thought. Jesus felt that too. But then he was met with loneliness and abandonment. That man, really guys? That some of the times you most need people to rally with you are the times you'll most feel alone. And here's the thing is that they don't, all, they don't mean anything by it. It's not like they meant to abandon you, but you feel that. And now you feel like the weight is even heavier because you feel like you're alone in that battle. Jesus felt it. And then he's honest with God. He's honest. Going, hey, just FYI, like if there's any way that this can go down another way, I want B. Right? Like, I'm in, but I mean, if there's any other way, like I'd rather not do this. I love that. It's honest. David had a lot of moments like this too, right? And, and God called David a man after his own heart. I can't tell you how many times, especially this last year and a half, it's like, hey, you sure you want me to pastor? Like, is, can I sell cars? Can I have a job that, like, when I leave at 5 o'clock, I don't even have to think about it? Can I just sell ice cream? And people look forward to when I show up. They don't get mad at me. You know what I mean? Like, I just give them ice cream. Can I do something else? Right? Honesty with God. And then it goes into submission. But God, whatever you want, whatever you want, I'm in. Told you years ago when I gave my life to you, I'm in 100% and I'm still in. If there's a plan B, it's cool. But if not, I'm still in 100%. And then the last thing, eventually, strength is received. Eventually. I like to tell you what's going to happen. You walk through these four steps and within 12 minutes, you, when you reach step five, you'll have strength. It doesn't always happen like that. It could be days, weeks, months, but eventually, if you keep a heart of surrender, strength will be received. I promise you, there's hope at the end of the tunnel. Verse 47, we've got to keep moving. Uh, it says, but even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, uh, one of the 12 disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss, but Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. We got both of them. You said it was enough. And one of them, later we know it's Peter, uh, mistake number one from Peter, struck at the high priest's slave, a guy named Malchus, slashing off his right ear. Gruesome. Uh, next verse. But Jesus said, no more of this. You guys still don't get it. Stop it. He touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus spoke to the leading priests and the captains of the temple guard and the elders. Other gospel writers say that there were Roman centurions there too. So this is kind of a joint operation between Rome and Judea. It says, Jesus says, am I some dangerous revolutionary? He asked that you would come at me with swords and clubs to arrest me. I mean, they were ready for battle. They heard they had two swords and they were ready, right? Like they were... They came at with swords and clubs. Clubs? Can you imagine someone coming to your house with clubs? This is crazy. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there every day. But this is your moment. The time when the power of darkness reigns. Worship me if you want to come up. Here's what's something that stuck out to me with this passage. Was overwhelming was the grace and kindness of Jesus. 
the soldier came and attacked. Peter cut off his ear. He's correcting his pit bull Peter, but then also healing, healing. He's caring for the person that's coming to arrest him. They came ready for a fight. Jesus doesn't give them one. Judas betrays him, inner circle. But Jesus was gracious. What would you do if one of your inner circle sold you out like this? Probably a little angry, right? A little bit of a public freak out moment, right? What does Jesus do? Okay, do what you need to do. Kindness. It's almost like when Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that he meant it. He showed it. He modeled it. They didn't arrest him during the day because they didn't want the crowds to come against them, so they did it under the cover of night. Jesus operated in the day. Everything Jesus taught was in full view of everybody. But the high priests, the elders... They did everything under the cover of night because they didn't want people to know what they were really doing. They wanted to keep the appearance of being religious leaders, but they didn't want to expose what was really going on in their hearts, the decisions they were really making. I want to challenge you. Be careful when your life is characterized by backroom conversations. Be careful when, you're, when you have meetings before the meetings often. You know what I'm talking about. When... The situation wouldn't be good if those conversations were recorded. Wouldn't it be good for you? You'd have some explaining to do. Look, I'm not talking about keeping confidence. I'm not talking about circles of appropriate confidentiality. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a life full of secrets, a life full of gossip, a life full of shady decisions made in the shadows. You're going, why are we talking about that church? It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Be careful if your life is full of secrets, if your life is full of gossip, if your life is full of backroom conversations, shady decisions, because at some point the light will shine. The Bible says that everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That Jesus sees all, God sees all, and one day the light will shine. Definitely on the other side of eternity, sometimes on this side of eternity. So we end today with this line. It's kind of ominous. It's really, it's really ominous. It said, Jesus says, but this is your moment. Talking to the man, everything that, that, that symbolizes human power and control and authority and just kingdom. He looks at them and says, but this is your moment. This is your moment. I willingly surrender to you the time when the power of darkness reigns. And at that moment, you can almost see like the, the dimmer switch turned down. It's going to be dark for a while. So, to be continued. To be continued. It is, there isn't hope until Easter Sunday. It gets dark for a while. We're going to go through it. It's going to be kind of messy. A lot, really messy. But we're going to go through it. We're going to take a pause on the sermon series uh, today. Next week, for four weeks, remember, we're going to go through Mic Drop, which we do... Uh, every summer, every summer, like the 
two, three years that we've done it, that we've been around, existed as a church. Uh, next week, we're going to do uh, Mike and Tiff Order are speaking, and then Raphael is speaking, and then Eric is speaking, and then Matt Hemphill, uh, pastor that we, the church that we did Good Friday uh, together with. Uh, they're, they're, they're the speakers this year for Mic Drop, where we pass the mic around for four weeks. Um, and then we'll hop back in and take about three or four weeks to finish up the Gospel of Luke. It only took us about a couple years, but we're, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. But hopefully, my prayer is that it was helpful. My prayer is that you would leave sun, after Sundays hearing these messages and go, I understand it. I get it. I get it. And if that's true, I, I got to live a little differently. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing one last song together before we dismiss. All right, God, we just, we take a breath. God, I pray for no condemnation. If there's anything I said that was condemning or caused guilt or shame, God, I pray that you would kick that out the door. God, I pray for the hope and the love and the joy, the optimism of God, that better days are ahead, the best days are ahead. God, I pray would you breathe encouragement and life into every single person here or watching online or listening to the podcast. God, we just pray, would you use us, would you use us to make the world a better place? If there's any distance between us and you, would you help to close that gap? We want to walk with you every day. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.